can please be seated. It's that time of the year. It's the most exciting time of the year. It's when Bicycling Magazine uh, brings out their best gear. Best time of the year. At any rate, there's, uh, you know, all this cool gear because it's kind of like you have this opportunity to look at all of the stuff that you want to have but you can't possibly afford. It's like, it's like you're looking, it's like you're peering into heaven. You just can't quite get there but you're like all of this cool stuff. At any rate, it starts off with this intriguing article about bike shops and um, the fact that often when you go into a bike shop, you're treated like a second-class citizen unless you're a phenomenal cyclist or you have a lot of money. And anyway, so they interview a number of bicycle shops owners, individual or independent bike shops. And, and one of the individuals they interview is a David Goutelier. Okay, David Goutelier, he's 61. And he says this quote, I love it. My worst day on the bike was during a February ride in California. We rode down the Big Sur coast through what was essentially a hurricane, swirling, gusting headwinds that at one point blew us off the road. I learned to not eat a marijuana brownie for breakfast <laughs> before rides like this. I'm just like, you know, I think I know that one already. You know, I've never had, I never probably will. It would be an occupational hazard for me. At any rate, this, this is like Isaiah chapter 5 is like the bicycling gear of the year chapter. It's kind of like God when he like was thinking of the book of Isaiah. He's like, okay, we got to get a lot of stuff in there. We got to get a lot of heavy stuff in there. We got to get a lot of heavy stuff in there, but we got to let the people come up for a breath of air. That is chapter 25. Join me. Oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, planned, formed of old, faithful and sure. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Close your eyes. Say the words with me. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. And step by step, you'll lead me. And I will follow you all of my days. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1. O Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like a heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, 
a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow of aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be on that day Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. O God, you are my God. When I was first attempting to become serious about my relationship with Jesus Christ, it was the words of that song. O God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways. Have you ever stood outside? Have you ever stood outside and just looked up into the heavens and God, O God, you are my God, and I will praise your name. Have you ever stood outside on on, on just a pitch black night where the stars are absolutely radiant and you raise your hands and you're like, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be born again. Oh, God, you are my God. It's the place to start for the person who wants to authentically follow Jesus Christ. It's the place to begin. Oh God, you are my God. It it describes the place where God belongs. It, It describes the intent of the heart. It describes a solution to the human dilemma. We acknowledge that God is God. We are not God. God gets to be God. We praise God. We exalt his name. And we can define those words, look them up in a dictionary, but the mystery around them is far more impactful if you just allow it to ring from your heart. The reason why this song is so rapturous is because it is the place to begin. The songs that we sing that praise God for who he is there's a mystery and a delight. And so I invite you, let's just do it right now, okay? If you don't want to do it, fine. If you want to do it, it's fine. If you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you want to stand up, but just put your hands in the air and say, oh God, you are my God. And I will ever praise you. Say it. Oh God, you are my God. And I will ever praise you. Lewis argues, C.S. Lewis argues, that there's, there's the deep magic, okay? That the Bible tells us all that we need to know, but the Bible doesn't tell us everything. And here, the second part of this, okay, is this neat little thing. Oh God, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and true. Part of me is like God's like describing this situation to Isaiah. And he's like, where are those plans? You know, kind of like, where did those plans? Oh, they're back over here. You know, and he pulls them out and he unrolls them. And there's a little dust that needs to be shaken off. And 
check out this masterpiece. Check out the plans that I have for how the world can be redeemed. And then the verses talk about the strong arm of God, how God has literally leveled the competition. That's basically what we've been discussing these past few weeks, right? The oracles have been heavy, right? But it's this point that God is making to Isaiah and to anyone who's willing to listen, that God is God. God is strong. And the strength of God has leveled the competition. Now, there are some people who remain loyal to the competition, just like there are folks who still cheer for the Jets or the, the, the Bills or, or the Falcons. Not sure why, but... I mean, not everyone will follow God, right? The, the competition does still have some loyalty. Not everyone will follow God. Everyone has a shot to follow God. But the strength of God has leveled the competition. And then again, a picture of the things that are important to God. And please understand, I have no political fight in me. I'm simply reading Scripture. A stronghold to the poor. A stronghold to the needy in his distress. A shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. The things that are important to God. And also this picture of God being both close and over all. God being imminent, God being very close, God desiring to have a relationship with his creation, and also God having this plan, this idea, this concept for how this whole thing would play out. And showing his strength. We read these things, right? And they buoy our spirits because we often see a world that is taken advantage and taken advantage of. And like we discussed last week, there are these two things that are happening at once, right? We, we have both the good of God moving forward and God drawing people to him and the hearts of the willing who are responding to his call. And we have a world that is still underneath a curse. Verse 6. Maybe one of my favorite verses in the Bible. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. The work is done, folks. Isaiah 25 is, is, is pointing to a time for celebration. This amazing spread. Aged vino. Marrow, so yummy, so rich. First time I had marrow, I don't know, have you had marrow? It's like really, really good. It's like, it's like so decadently good, it should be wrong, right? Okay, we're in Indonesia. We're visiting some friends of ours. We're in Bandun. We're on Eat Street, right? And you can basically go from little shop to little shop. And the restaurant scene in Bandun is a little bit different than Niswa for a number of different reasons. And we went into this one place, and they were doing these little skewers out at the sidewalk because that's where the kitchen is, out at the sidewalk, okay, because then you don't need an exhaust fan. Things just go up in the air. And then you ate inside, right? And so there was doing these skewers. And they came out with this thing, and basically it was the, the joint, if you will, of, 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 a, of, a, of a cow. And it was broken off in such a way, and there was a straw in it. And I'm like, what's this? 
My guest said, well, that, that's, that's marrow. You just suck it out. I'm like, I've never done that before. He's like, tried. It's good. I'm like, I'm good for a go. Let's go. It was amazing. I mean, it is like ingesting 100% fat. Last year, I was getting ready at this time for the Camino de Santiago, second day in. I had walked 36 kilometers. I started off the day in, 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 in heavy snow, and, and precipitation changed over as I came out of the mountains into rain, walked through the whole day through precipitation. My body upper half was dry because I had good gear. My feet were soaking wet. I was cold. We get in Pamplona, right? I get in Pamplona. I was walking by myself check into this hostel, and I'm like, I I want a good place to eat. And he's like, okay, well, you can eat here. I'm like, no, 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 I want to know where the locals eat. And so he points me to this direction, and I find this place, and it's this amazing food. The owners of it have created their own cookbook of the best small plates in this part of the world. And I had, among other things, because this is worth hearing, I had eel with tomato jelly. It's absolutely amazing. I had sturgeon, I had abalone, I had pork. All these were small plates, right? Okay, so like one or two euros. But and I had pork cheek, okay, but Iberian pork cheek. And it was just like, it looked red like a steak, but it was tender like nothing. I had grilled faux gras, okay? And, and basically, they had grilled it on a flat pan, so it was really more seared. They had seared faux gras in butter, Mushroom soup, artichoke this, more foie gras, okay, a little side pork. I, I mean, the food was absolutely amazing. And that is what is being described here. If you don't like to eat, you probably won't like heaven. <laughs> but if you like to eat, this is going to be the place with the best food in town. And often we lament the fact that there's not as many good eating options around here. We're suffering for Jesus. We're waiting for the day. We're waiting for the day. We can do this. Oh God, you are my God. Can't wait for the work to be done. This last Friday night, it had been a good week in our house. Good report from the Twin Ports area. Good report from the BHS, passed a driver's test. I mean, it's a good week in our house. We're free. That song, we're free, we're free forever, we're free. That's us. Tanya and I are like, woohoo! Can I take the car? Please take the car. So I stopped by Maury's, right? Because sometimes we think rather than going out, if we spend a comparable amount of money or a little bit less, we can get just as good of food and we have a nice time inside and stop by. They had these, ma- I didn't know what I was going to get. I just walk in, had these massive tiger prawns, okay? They were just ginormous, right? And I'm like, oh, if I toss those with a little Old Bay seasoning and grill them, they would be great. And then they had these beautiful sea scallops. And it is scallops. It's not scallops. Don't say scallops. You sound like a Midwesterner. Sounds scallops. Okay, then you sound like a Northeasterner, where scallops come from, or at least where scallops should come from. The imagery is heaven. The imagery is a feast. The imagery is a table of people gathering together and celebrating. And and we're to be drawn to this. We want to be there. You want to do everything that you can to make this appointment. 
everything. The food metaphor continues in verse 7. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all people, the veil that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And again, we see highlights, hints, connections to Revelation, chapters 21. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Darkness is no more. Death is no more. The curse is is gone. It's been redeemed. Now, Isaiah didn't have the ability because Jesus Christ wasn't yet born, hadn't lived, hadn't died, hadn't been resurrected and ascended into heaven. So Isaiah is speaking of these things. God is telling him to write these things. And God is, Isaiah is speaking of these things, hoping for this day. We live with the assurance, the reality, the certainty because of the work of Christ that this day will come. Isaiah lived solely with the hope, understanding that the promises of God are different than any other entity that has ever existed. The best that humans can do is cause death. The best that God can do is end death. And then the magic of it all, verses 9 through 10. It will be said on that day, Behold, the Lord is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. How often do we find ourselves there? How often do we cry out with the psalmist, How long, O Lord? How long have we been in a challenging situation, maybe a challenging job assignment, maybe working in a situation in our family that has been heavy beyond belief, and we've cried out, How long, O Lord? And Isaiah whispers to us, Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Whatever you have to do, wait for the Lord. And then in the last few verses, pride again is taken down, okay? And this reality that that pride is not worth it. The pursuit of pride, the pursuit of self will, will never have lasting satisfaction. It does not stand up to life. But waiting for God... And I know that it's hard. I get it. And I only get a small portion of it. Wait for God. Pursue God. Oh God, you are my God. And I will ever praise you. Last night, as I'm thinking about today, and thinking about the things that I might do today, I'm sitting at the kitchen island, and um, I start crying because I'm reading. And Tanya's like, "Are you crying?" <laughs> I'm like, "I'm like, 
how can you not cry? And then she realized what I was reading. I think it's good to cry. I think I want to cry more. In our house, there's a box of well-used paperback books, seven in all. We have a lot of books in our house, like, like a lot of books. These seven are, are probably the most cherished and prized possession that we own. They're Tanya's. In fact, I took them off the shelf last night, and uh, she's like, what are you doing with those? I said, well, I was thinking of, of you know, showing. She's like, um... She kind of gave assent. She's like, okay, well, just make sure that they get home tomorrow and make sure nobody touches them. <laughs> That's a clue. Even though I'd gotten permission, that was a clue to leave the books at home. So they stayed at home. There's seven paperback books in this cardboard thing. They're the Chronicles of Narnia. And they're Tanya's. And they're some of the most cherished and prized things in our possession. What are they worth? I don't know. They're probably not worth financially much of anything. They're children's books. Some of you would say, I've read those children's books. They are also amazing works of theology. If you've not read them, do your faith a favor. Read them. And if you've read them, read them again. In fact, if you want, call me up. Let's read them together and talk about them over coffee. So at the end, right, the seventh book, the final battle, the last battle. Let me just read it for you. And soon they found themselves all walking together in a great bright procession it was, up towards mountains higher than you could see in this world, even if they were there to be seen. But there was no snow on these mountains. There were forests and green slopes and sweet orchards and flashing waterfalls, one above the other, going up forever. And the land they were working on grew narrower all the time with a deep valley on each side. And across that valley, the land, which was the real England, grew nearer and stronger. The light ahead was growing stronger. Lucy saw that a great series of many-colored cliffs led up in front of them like a giant staircase. And then she forgot everything else because Aslan himself was coming, leaping down from cliff to cliff like a living cataract waterfall, a living cataract of power and beauty. And the very first person whom Aslan called to him was Puzzle the donkey. You never saw a donkey look feebler and sillier than Puzzle did as he walked up to Aslan. And he looked beside Aslan as small as a kitten looks beside a St. Bernard. The lion bowed his head and whispered something to Puzzle, at which his long ears went down. Then he said something else at which the ears perked up again. The humans couldn't hear what he had said either time. Then Aslan turned to them and said, You do not yet look happy, as I mean you to be. Lucy said, We're so afraid of being sent back away, Aslan. You have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? And their hearts leaped. And a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, said Aslan. Your father and mother and all of you, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, Dad. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended. This is morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great 
and beautiful. I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, we're, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Please pray with me. Oh, Father. How I look forward to that day. And how I pray you enabled me and all my friends to follow you and your son be led by your spirit. Father, allow us to begin each day. Oh, glory, God, you are my God. And I will ever praise you. And allow us to end each day saying, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation.